Good morning, Grove Christian Fellowship. This is Pastor Steve Lewis, and I want to thank you again for the opportunity of being able to share some thoughts from Scripture, from my mind and heart. And as I reflect on the events of the past two weeks with the Democrats having their convention and this past week, the Republicans having theirs, hearing and listening to the different leaders um, share their platform, their belief system, and how they would like to govern for the next four years or longer. It reminds me that we need to go not to their voter guides, but to our voter guide as a Christian, the principles of Scripture, what does the Bible say in light of what these political parties represent and what they say? And regardless, uh, regardless of your political alignment in the past, I would hope and pray that using the scripture, we will vote for what God says rather than what man says. So if that means you having to cross a political line that you are accustomed to, um, we need as a nation to come back to what the Bible says. And we, we need to continue to pray. And the question that I would ask this morning is, have you ever prayed for something over and over and over again, year in and year out? But God has not given his complete answer. And I think that in, in some way that represents our political uh, situation in our country. And I hope that you can answer that question, have you prayed again and again, year in and year out, waiting for God to give an answer. I don't know, sometimes it doesn't take long for God's answer to be shown. I, I think that in the last few days um, in my personal life, I have seen some very direct movings of God in answer to my prayer. I hope that you have as well. And if you have not seen or received the answer to a prayer that you have been praying for for a long, long, long time, I say don't give up. Keep on praying. Keep on being persistent like that woman that Jesus talked about in the New Testament. She kept going again and again to the judge, and finally he responded to her needs. And we do pray that God would send revival to our country. Revival is not a matter of hanging out a banner in front of the church building. Revival this week at 7 p.m. True revival is not superficial. It's not an emotional response that results in temporary experience, but real revival um, 
has long-term results. I think that you may remember the days of September 11th, 2001, when we saw before our very eyes the, uh, the devastation that took place. And there for a while, many expected American uh, churches of, and places of worship to be f jammed with people seeking uh, refuge and a place to grieve. And that spike in church attendance did in fact occur, but it was all so brief. The attacks did not have a long-lasting effect on American church going, says Mark Chavez, a Duke professor of sociology and religious studies and divinity. Chavez directs the National Congregations study that examines the American religious places of worship over time. And he says the jolt to church attendance following the attacks lasted but a few weeks. We're going to submit that true revival is when the living God sovereignly and powerfully breaks into uh, our lives and changes things and his people come under deep conviction of sin. We see people turning from sin. It always involves a recovery of biblical principles. We return to the Word of God. We fall before Him and renew our relationship with Him. But we recognize that revival is again not man-made but it is a sovereign act of God it is something that he brings about we can go through the motion we can organize and we can um, plan things but uh, it's only God that brings about the real transformation of lives I would submit to you that um, that it is God who uh, is always moving in his time. I, I want to invite you to look at uh, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. Um, when we read um, this following account of John the Baptist, in Luke chapter 1, verse 5, in the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest of Abijah's division named Zechariah. His wife was from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Both were righteous in God's sight, living without blame according to all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. But they had no children because Elizabeth could not conceive. And both of them 
were well along in years. When his division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, it happened that he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. And at that hour of incense, the whole assembly of the people were praying outside. An angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was troubled and overcome with fear. But the angel told him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, because your prayer has been heard. Your wife will bear a son, and you will name him John. There will be joy and delight for you, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and will never drink wine or beer. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in his mother's womb. He will turn away Uh, He will turn many of the sons of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the disobedient to the understanding of the righteous, to make ready for the Lord for a prepared, to prepare, excuse me, to make ready for the Lord a prepared people. How can I know this, Zechariah asked the angel, for I'm an old man, and my wife is well along in years. The angel answered, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. Now listen, you will become silent and unable to speak until the day these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. Well, a very interesting story. And you might ask, how does this relate to revival and repentance? In this story, we see that um, Zacharias Actually, both Zacharias and Elizabeth were uh, faithful, believing Jews. Both were from the tribe of Levi. And yet Elizabeth was not able to have children. And now they're both very advanced in years. As a priest, Zacharias... uh, had the opportunity to serve in the temple for, uh, I think they had something like two one-week assignments each year, apart from the three uh, annual festivals. And because there was such a large number of priests, uh, some estimate they, they numbered 18 to 20,000, they had a system of casting lots to determine which priest would go and do those very extra special duties like the burning of 
incense at the altar in the holy place. And so it came to uh, Zacharias that as he was um, offering this incense, and this incense, the burning of the incense in the holy place, uh, symbolized, pictured the prayers of God's people rising up to, uh, to God in heaven. It was a pleasing aroma. And while Zacharias was inside in the holy place making this offering, the people were outside praying as well. And perhaps I think uh, you can conclude that the most common prayer was that God would visit his people with salvation through the coming of the Messiah. And as Zacharias was offering this incense, suddenly there, there was an angel standing at that altar. And the angel said to Zacharias that he had heard his prayer, that he and his wife would have a son, and this would not be an ordinary son, but would be the one that was predicted by Malachi in chapter 3, verse 1, and chapter 4, verse 5. Also, it would be a prophecy fulfilled uh, from Isaiah, chapter 40, verses 3 to 5. He would be the forerunner who would prepare the way for the Lord. So we see that God was uh, breaking in sovereignly. He was uh, making himself known in this, uh, this very decisive act. Of, of coming to answer, to answer the prayers that had been offered. Not only by Zacharias and Elizabeth to have a son, that was going to be an answer to prayer, but for the prayers that had been offered for a long, long time. It seems that, uh, that God decided to move after some 400 years of silence. There had not been a word from God. And it's even said of Samuel's ministry that uh, prior to Samuel's birth, a word from the Lord was rare in the days. Visions were infrequent. And while a faithful remnant, and there's that word again, remnant. There's always a faithful remnant among God's people who were praying for revival, that he would fulfill his long-standing promise of salvation by sending this Messiah. You know, names are, names are important. Uh, we sometimes take our names for granted. Um, but in the Bible, many times, names of individuals spoke of their mission or their calling. And, and here it is. Uh, the angel Gabriel told Zacharias that 
they would name him, name the son John. And the, the name John means God has been gracious. That child was to be, uh, was named before his birth. Dis, uh, it, it stresses how God is sovereignly in control and that he was sending this little boy to be his special servant. Um, the language of this passage uh, expresses the divine choice and the care of this person, this little boy, from his very birth. Um, he is seen as being uh, with the Holy Spirit even while he was in his mother's womb. Before he was born, the hand of God was on him to prepare him for his work. The name Zacharias means uh, God remembers. And so uh, God remembers. He, he shows us that no matter how long it may seem to us, God has not forgotten his uh, promises to hear our prayers and to answer them. The name Elizabeth, um, the, the meaning isn't as certain, but probably means my God is an oath. My God is an oath. And so in these three names, John, Zacharias, and Elizabeth, they point us to God's sovereign grace toward his chosen people that God keeps his promise, that he is faithful, and that he will take the initiative in his time according to his will with his grace. We come to this idea as well that God waits sometimes until... Um, we are at the end of ourselves. Isn't that what we learn and celebrate recovery? Um, many times people uh, are on their face without hope and they have no place else to turn. God allows us to come to the end of ourselves and, and when we are feeling most hopeless, he sends revival. As good as this story is with uh, two very faithful people, people who walked blameless before the Lord, they were also living in a time when there were people on the very opposite side of living. They lived in the days of Herod the Great. In the times of Herod, and Herod was um, a very immoral, a very wicked, violent king. Um, he ruled and reigned as the king of in Judea, um, probably uh, 
37 BC, um, several years, and he was a great builder. That's why he was called Herod the Great. But while he was great in being an architect and builder, he was a very wicked man. He murdered and killed uh, hundreds of people, even family members. He had a son killed just five days prior to his own death. And at the end of uh, his reign, his son took over and was the king on the throne when uh, John the Baptist would ultimately uh, be beheaded. So this was a very dark time. This was a very hopeless time as far as the Jews were concerned, even among their own, uh, among their own people, uh, even in religion. Uh, Israel was corrupt. The high priest and members of the Sanhedrin were in competition with each other and they were in a power struggle. Um, there was this uh, time of setting up um, uh, the 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 use of sacrifices for temple worship. Uh, they would sell the, uh, the animals for sacrifice. And that was this kind of system that, was, that would ultimately be viewed by Jesus when he drove the money changers out of the temple. So in the religious system, uh, there was uh, greed and and profit-seeking. Um, and it's not unlike the, uh, the Roman church prior to the um, Reformation. Uh, the indulgence gate, we would call it today. Uh, Leo X was Pope in Rome. And... Um, they allowed all kinds of, of um, things to be sold at the right price. They could, uh, they could even save up uh, for their future sins, kind of a sort of a spiritual ira, indulgences, they called them. Uh, there was the invention of purgatory, and uh, purgatory according to the church, was um, where a person would go immediately after death for the purification of sins. Um, it was a place or state of punishment wherein, according to the Roman Catholic doctrine, the souls of those who die in God's grace may make satisfaction for past sins and so become fit for heaven. And there were uh, seven different levels or terraces of purgatory. Of course, we know that that is not found to be 
New Testament at all. But it was just another way of, of saying that uh, these practices within the church came with a price. You could buy and pay for your sins to be forgiven. Well, in the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, they had their own, um, their own system of greed and profit. And so uh, in, this, in this culture of sin and ignoring the rule of, of God's grace, there was even then a remnant of people Zacharias and Elizabeth, two of them, Mary and Joseph, another two, and many more who were praying for and looking forward to the coming of the Messiah. And so uh, Isaiah reminds us that the Lord's hand is not short, that it cannot save. Neither is his ear so dull that it cannot hear. And when we pray individually for revival, and as a nation, revival um, is ultimately a relationship between the individual and God. And God can come to the heart, revive a person, in themselves, even though the world around them continue in decay and darkness. God brings revival through his faithful remnant. Even though the times were spiritually dark with Zacharias and Elizabeth, they were righteous in the sight of God according to verse 6. They were going about their lives in obscure faithfulness. They were walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. Doesn't mean that they were perfect. Doesn't mean that you and I'll be perfect. Again, uh, in this family relationship, Elizabeth and Mary are related. So, the bottom line is, if God brings revival in our day, it will be because his ordinary people walk in obedience before him. You and I seeking his kingdom and his glory, going before his word for the voter guide so that we will know who to vote for not a party, but the person that best represents. And none of our political, um, our politicians are going to be perfect. None of them. But uh, the principles are what we are called to vote on. So God did with... Um, God is going to use us all to bring about revival individually and with our country. Obedience before him 
inviting him to pour out his grace on our land is what we are to pray for. Um, and and it, you, he, he's going to do it uh, with us. And who are we? We look at each other and we say, well, according to the world standards, we're not much. And yet, we are very, very important. In the sight of God, uh, is is what is is what's important. I, I'm I'm just reminded of um, Samuel being called by God to go to Jesse's house to select a new king. And so Jesse brings in his sons one at a time, and they stand before Samuel, and Samuel dismisses them one by one by one. And some of them were tall, good-looking, well mannered and so on. But the scripture says that God doesn't look on the outward appearance, but he looks on the heart. We've heard of a a man called Dwight L. Moody. He was poorly educated. He was not an ordained pastor. Rather, he was a shoe salesman. but he felt the, the call of God to go and preach. And the story is told that early one morning that he and some of his friends gathered in a hay field for a season of prayer, uh, for prayer and for confession and consecration. And he had a friend by the name of Henry Varley. And Henry Varley told Dwight Moody, the world has yet to see what God can do with and for and through and in a man who is fully and wholly consecrated to him. Listen to these words again. The world has yet to see what God can do with and for and through and in a man or woman who is fully and wholly consecrated to him. It's recorded that Dwight L. Moody later went to a meeting where Charles Spurgeon was speaking, and in that service, he was seated in the balcony. He felt God saying to him, "Uh, you're the man. So Moody responded to the Lord by saying, send me, use me. Dwight L. Moody was an ordinary man who sought to be fully and wholly committed to Christ. Do you? Do you want to be that kind of a person? I hope so. I want to be. Some days I'm better at it than others. But God did extraordinary things through Dwight L. Moody, this ordinary man. Moody became one of the great evangelists of modern time. He started a Bible college. Today we know it as the Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. And that 
Institute sends out men and women trained in service for God. And it's because an ordinary man felt the call of God on his life to be different, to stand for the Lord and to share what God has done in him. So, according to this passage of scripture recorded in Luke, uh, the example of Zacharias and Elizabeth, they were godly people. They loved the Lord. They kept his word. They kept his commandments. And so it leads us to this conclusion that you and I, we must be righteous in his sight. Perfect? Probably not going to happen this side of heaven. But we are called to be righteous in his sight. We must trust Christ for the forgiveness of all our sins and that we must keep a short list before him so that sin will not separate us, so that it will not diminish our influence in the world. We must come before the Lord in his word, Second Timothy tells us that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for teaching us, for correction, for rebuking, to teach us, to know, for us to know more about God and his will for our lives, to teach us what we are to stop doing, to teach us what we are to start doing. The true estimate of any life is not what others think of us, but what God thinks of us. So we must be on guard against living for the approval of our neighbors or um, anyone else, but always looking for the approval of the Lord Jesus. We want to be able to come to the end of our life and hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. The scripture says here in Luke that John was to be a young man that was um, not controlled by wine, but that he was to be controlled by the Holy Spirit that he was to go in the spirit and the power of Elijah, that he was to go and to turn back many of the sons of Israel to the Lord. John, we are, we are not told that John did any miracles, that he didn't speak in tongues, he didn't do anything extravagant except the way he lived. He brought people to faith and trust in God. You know, God has gifted us all. If we're a believer in Christ, his spirit lives within us and he has entrusted to us gifts and talents that are to be used for the benefit of others. 
we are to bless people with the things that God has entrusted to us, to be used by him and for him in turning sinners to the saving knowledge of Christ. And you you might remember one of my f- favorite verses of Scripture is 1 Peter 3.15. But sanctify Christ first as Lord in your hearts. Always be ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. The only way that that's going to happen is if we are repentant of all our sins. We can't hold back this little sin, this little insignificant problem that we have, I, but rather we've got to put it all before the Lord. John the Baptist, according to Luke 1, verse 16, he would turn back many of the sons of Israel to the Lord their God and to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children. Two commands, to love God, to love others. And it begins at home. We need to train our children. We looked at that a week or so ago, that the training of our children is so, so important. People must turn in repentance to God, seeking to obey what he says, and we must turn in repentance toward those whom we have wronged, making amends, beginning in family relationships, and begin to practice biblical love. John's ministry was to make a people prepared for the Lord. It is the Lord himself who visits us in revival. Again, we can't can't make up revival by banners and music and going through the motion. It's a visitation of him with us. It's his spirit coming upon us. If the presence of an angel was an awesome thing causing Zacharias Uh, to be gripped by fear, how much more awesome is the visitation of the Lord himself. It's the Holy Spirit coming upon us, burning in our hearts, changing us, setting us free. We want, don't we, for God to visit us in 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 a revival that just makes things all new, that we don't do things the old way, that um, we're going to um, 
have a burning desire for his presence in everything. Zacharias would have the joy and the gladness at John's birth, not only personally, the joy of this little life growing before them, but they were but many would rejoice. And they were not going to just rejoice at the birth of this little boy, but they're going to rejoice at what this little boy would bring. He would bring the good news of great joy for all people because he was going to prepare the way of the Lord. Sin always causes pain and destruction, but God's salvation and righteousness result in great joy and gladness as relationships are reconciled. Father, we pray today that we would continue in the spirit of revival, that we will wait upon you, that we will wait and not grow weary, that we will be patient because in due season you will come and visit us. You will come and visit us in power, in grace. You will transform the old into new, that you will give us opportunity to have joy and gladness in our hearts regardless of what is going on around us. We pray, Father, for um, a revival in our nation that we would rebuke the evil that we hear about and see on our televisions and read in the newspapers. Father, we rebuke the devil and all the chaos that he represents. We pray that you will use us, Father, to be salt and light, that we will, that you will use us as we are vessels prepared in righteousness, that we experience first revival in our hearts so that we can then be used to reach the unsaved and those in darkness around us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.